and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about King of the Dead and Original Sins, the last two parts of the Lost Slayer Quartet. I did not expect to get as many feelings from this book as I as I ended up with. No, we're going to talk about it. It's horrible. It's great. It's horrible. Yes. Um, few things. Uh, the day we are recording this is actually the... 20th anniversary of the last airing of Buffy. So Buffy ended 20 years ago today. Oh my God. I know. Just to make you feel old this morning. I mean, as if all the creaks in my back and shoulders and everything weren't enough. Also, I apologize. It is a high spring, early summer here in Maryland. So like my entire throat and nasal passages are just coated in pollen. Yeah, the east the east coast sucks at this yeah. time of the year. Like we're we are all and then it's it sucks because it's that time of year where you never know what the next day is going to bring. Like here in Pennsylvania, it is pouring down rain and chilly after it was warm the past few days. Uh, it's going to be like 80 here today and then it's going to rain this afternoon and drop all the temperatures. Yeah, so you're you're going to get you're going to get what we have later. Yeah, it's I guess it's moving down from your direction. Yeah, yeah. And I do have a couple I do have a couple uh international titles for original sins. Oh, I'm so excited. All right, so let's get there. All right, Lost Slayer, uh, as we said last time, it was published in 2001, uh, which would have been during the fifth or sixth season. And just to remind everyone of our synopsis, it's Buffy Summers' adjustment to life at UC Sunnydale has not gone smoothly. She feels awkward, insecure, and jealous that Willow is all over the college life. So when she is visited by a prophecy of impending danger, the timing couldn't be worse. There's plenty of evil afoot as it is. A unified troop of vampires has descended upon Sunnydale. The tension between Buffy and Willow gets in the way of demon hunting. Before long, a single moment of bad judgment catapults Buffy into an alternate future dimension where vampires reign supreme. Imprisoned in the body of her 24-year-old self and confronting friends and foes the like of which she'd never imagined, the Slayer must uncover her past misstep and correct it or risk facing a terrifying monster that she herself created. So what are our international titles? So for book four, Original Sins, we have in French, Welcome to Hell, and German, Reign of the Vampires. Oh, I like, I like that. I like that. I like Welcome to Hell. I think Welcome to Hell kind of fits this whole feeling. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we begin the third book on a rather sad note. Um, Spike's driving through the streets of Sunnydale in his Camaro with the painted black (laughs) windows, mourning Drusilla. You know, uh, with the way the vampires were dying in the first half, Harmony, Drusilla, I was actually afraid we weren't going to see much of Spike, and Mm -hmm. I am... Never been glad to be more rock. Yeah, and even though it's, you know, he's not going to be around for much longer. We're not going to see him much longer, but we do get to see him a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. We do get some delightful moments. 
And we also learn a bit about Giles as a vampire from Spike's inner monologue, how his patience and focus allows him to succeed where other vampires have failed, and how Kamazot's blood is somehow addictive. I feel they left that out of the first half, but yeah, okay, that's why he has an army, because like all his vampires are basically bespelled to follow him. Yeah, yeah. And we'll we'll find we'll a little a little further in we'll find, you know, a little bit more about what the God of Bats is, you know, how how he operates. Yeah. It's a power Giles now wields and has shared with the vampires not originally made of camazots, as Spike says even he now shares in this power. He arrives at City Hall and heads inside to the tunnels that apparently connect all major buildings in Sunnydale. City Hall, the police department, the courthouse, and all the libraries, because, duh. Yeah. He heads towards the courthouse, and the vamps on guard duty tell him he's early. He doesn't care. He's going to see the big guy, and he's going to see him now. When they try to stop him, we do get a nice bit of throwback as Spike rams one of their heads into the glass case surrounding a fire extinguisher. <laughs> Much like he did with the axe back in school hard. Having dealt with those guards, he tells the other two that they could try and stop him. But then they'd have to kill him. And well, wouldn't that get messy? Might even cause their own death, courtesy of his majesty. Because for some reason, Giles always kept Spike and Drew close. Maybe because he knew what they were capable of. Or maybe because he never entirely trusted them. Either way, it works in Spike's favor, because they don't just move aside, they open the door for him, allowing him to stroll into the courtroom where Giles is, quite literally, holding court. (laughs) The row is packed with vampires. One, Valerie, is about to give her report, but Spike interrupts. He wants to go. Drusilla is dead, and he wants to talk about it, wants to get to the reason why. They should have never been separated that night. He should have been there. Jax, a vampire acting as Giles' right-hand man, comes to try and get Spike under control. But Spike just puts his cigarette out on his face. Spike is having a very, very bad day. We can't, we cannot blame Spike for having a bad day. No, no, he he is fully, he, he is allowed to have his feelings. Giles says that Spike needs to sit, let Valerie report, and then they will discuss all they lost that night. And so Port Valerie does, giving an update on Los Angeles, how many have turned in the police department, how they expect to have full control by Wednesday, how the mayor and such will still follow, and how they've been turning the movie studio personnel as well. Though pleased, Giles seems distracted. And when Valerie is done, he instructs the others to take their business up with Jax. He needs to speak to William. Ooh, William, Spike's in trouble. He is actually, he's he's in a lot of trouble. Oh yeah. Uh, Because he's pissed and he's rampaging and he's questioning the king because he gets it, not killing the Slayer, smart move. But why the hell did he let her escape? Kill so many of their number, kill Drew. And he says something in this conversation that I very much appreciate because it clears up the whole school hard conundrum. He says that he almost gets it because Giles was Buffy's sire the same way Angel was his. Mm-hmm. Angel didn't make him, but he trained him, yep. taught him all he needed to know. Yeah, there is there is a lot of little world building and little moments in this ridiculous, like it's just, it's a ridiculous tie-in novel, but 
There are so many little moments in these in these books that really help with the world. Like Christopher Golden yeah. wrote so many of the Buffy tie-in novels. And yeah, and it's clear he like studied the series. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, there there's a few, you know, there's there's a few things that are that are mentioned along the way that kind of answers some questions, you know, fills in some gaps that the series never really explicitly said and definitely appreciate it. Yeah, because every time the whole like, well, it's a continuity issue comes up, I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to listen to the whole line. Mm-hmm. Because the important part of that line is Spike saying Angel was his Yoda. Yes. Like Angel was his teacher. Mm-hmm. Not his actual, like, made him a vampire sire. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, they, you know, sire is one of those words that, yes, you know, Drew was his maker. But when it came to learning how to be a vampire, that was all Angel. Eventually, Spike figures it out in the middle of Giles beating the crap out of him for daring to question him. But he figures it out. Giles plans to make Buffy a vampire. Duh. Like, really? Did you, like, Spike, we love you, but... I just, (laughs) I have questions about, like, this plan. And I understand that, like, again, the answer is plot. Plot. But Giles has intimate knowledge of the drugs that will weaken a slayer. Mm -hmm. He could have had Buffy injected and turned her at any point in these five years when he had her in a cell. See, I'm going to I'm going to to uh, go the opposite direction with that and say, yes, while he does have knowledge of those drugs, it's too easy for Giles. And he wants her to come willingly. He wants he and he like he wants her to fight. He doesn't want to make it easy. That makes sense. That does make sense. Giles isn't really a shortcut kind of guy. And also, let's also remember that. Giles is a little dramatic to begin with. Oh, he's so dramatic. And now he's a vampire. So he's going to be extra dramatic. So yeah, I can I can definitely, you know, see why they did it. And also, we wouldn't get much book if we went that route. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you know, Giles, even even Giles, evil Giles, considers Buffy his daughter. That is that is one thing throughout this entire book that makes me so happy. Giles thinking of her as his daughter and Buffy thinking of him as her father. That is that, you know, that is a line that is throughout the second half of of this, you know, these books. Like we're going to keep coming back to that. Yeah, it keeps. And that's another thing that with this book, because, you know, as much as you jo- we joke about how Giles is to see it acknowledged in this book. And, you know, I, it's as official as it can get without being the TV series, having it put there in writing that they consider each other, that there's a familiar familial bond between them. And, you know, if he sires her, it will officially make her his daughter. And, you know, he's going to need someone to replace Spike. What? <laughs> Grabbing Spike, Giles uses the coat rack the bones of the old judge was leaning on. I the image, yeah, like because it described as like the the bones of the former judge were wrapped around in a hug around the coat rack, and yeah, 
Yeah, he uses this coat rack to break the window and kind of just like yeet Spike. Sunlight. <laughs> uh, but Spike is Spike, and though he does feel the heat, he manages to escape the parking gr- to the parking garage where he stashed his car. Because Spike is a smart boy. Yes. He's an idiot, but he's smart. Not seeing this, Giles prepares to journey south, presumably towards Buffy. On Buffy's side, the the hits just keep coming. Because as you know, when we last left her, she had just discovered Giles was a vampire. The king of vampires. And now, thanks to a dream in which she sees the power that connects all slayers from the very first to her, which actually will be very important later. Mm Mm-hmm. She learns her mother is dead, murdered. But in her dream, in the few short moments Joyce got with her, she lets her know Faith tried to save her. She doesn't learn the name of her mother's murderer. Joyce leaves before that. And Buffy, waking from her dream, knows what she has to do. She has to fix the problem she created. Not just by getting her younger consciousness back to her own time, but by finding the Giles of that time and dusting him. After a few workout moves to wake herself up, she heads off looking for food. So as Buffy walks through the hall, she mentions the HQ the Watchers have set up resembles a military installation. And it kind of makes me wish that we had, like, seen the council and the initiatives join forces in the show. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, because it does in, in, like, they do mention that the military already had an installation set up in Sunnydale. Yeah, so, like, that's basically what we're seeing here. And it would have been really cool to see it on the show. Yeah. And maybe we could have gotten Father Lonergan. (laughs) Christopher... We'll get we'll get to we'll get to Christopher in a little bit. <laughs> Mary Mary and I have been absolutely unhinged about this. I, this I don't very think minor character that we're like. Yeah, oh. I think the very the very definition of a blurbo. Like <laughs> on her way to the cafeteria, Buffy runs into Oz, and what's happened to Oz and Xander probably upset me the most of anything in this book. Mm-hmm. At least for now, because the war has taken a toll on each of them. As Oz is giving Buffy a tour, we learn he was forced into a situation, fight or die, where he had to learn to control the wolf, to let it out even when there wasn't a full moon. Because of that, he's adopted a lot of wolf-like behavior. He doesn't like to be touched and snarls when Buffy accidentally does so. He cocks his head with listening. It's like his humanity is slowly slipping away. And Xander, he's completely different. So serious, no humor left. And he seems to keep Buffy at arm's length. Possibly because he feels guilty about Joyce's death. Because when Buffy confronts Willow and the others, we learn they were there too. They too tried to save her and they failed. It's how Xander got his scar and how they lost Anya. Buffy's feeling completely out of sorts. And with good reason. Not only is she time displaced, but the older her was kept in a cell for five years. No other human contact. The feeling doesn't go away as they head to the debriefing, and she meets the other members of the council there in Sunnydale, as well as August's replacement. A girl, maybe 15? I kind of don't blame Buffy for not liking the head of the operation there, Miss Havisham, which is a great name. Oh, I know, I know. And I'm just, I like, I keep imagining her as the Miss Havisham from Great Expectations. Like, Yes, <laughs> that's all I kept seeing. And I wanted that to, like, play a part somewhere. Yeah. She's kind of condescending and she kind of sucks. I think because she knows Willow is the one with real power. We learn a few things during the briefing, like Angel went missing. 
he went out to find Buffy and never returned. We also learned that the council and what was left of the initiative teamed up after the vampires ate most of them. (laughs) The U.S. government is aware of the situation in Sunnydale and has given our group of heroes two more months to get a handle on things. Or, well, Sunnydale and everyone in it's going boom. Wesley's there and it's surprisingly good to see him. Though he is most curious as to who would have left Buffy the crossbow. Who would have known she would be there? I think we all know. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's, there's no real mystery here. The meeting is interrupted with when one of the council members, (laughs) our Christopher, Uh, gets a nosebleed, which at the time I was like, oh, I guess this must be a mystical thing. It is confirmed later. It is a mystical thing because he has psionic powers that allow him to know when a vampire is present and he gets migraines and nosebleeds, which I kind of, I kind of appreciate because that's on the same level as like the cramps from yes. the movie. Yes. Like he gets a physical like ailment every time vampires are nearby. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, like, I feel like that is a callback to that original concept from the movie. Turns out the vampires is really just one vampire. It's Spike, who is slightly charred, but wanting to speak to Buffy and Co. See, Giles has plans. And he was cool with that. Until he wasn't. (laughs) Until Drusilla was gone and Giles' plans no longer seemed to involve Spike. Now he's getting the hell out of Dodge and thought he'd pay them a courtesy call. (sighs) It takes a while to find anyone. But when he does, there's a whole welcoming committee. Willow, Xander, the new Slayer Anya, and a bunch of other Watchers. It seems he and our buddy Chris know each other fairly well. (laughs) Like there's a bit of banter between them. Yeah. And yeah. I'd like to think in a different world they were friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and for the record, um, in mental casting, Christopher is played by Tom Hardy. That's the best. Yeah, because the way that he's described in the book, and I mean, you know, I I also love my casting for when we what we find out <laughs> later in the book. It just makes it even more ridiculous because just the way that they... They describe him like pugilistic, like a like a boxer. Yeah, he's built like he's not, you know, a bookish librarian type. So that was why Tom Hardy was the first person that came to mind. And then it just got more ridiculous later on. Willow wants to know what he wants. And he says he's there with info. They're about 20 steps behind Giles. So if they want to stop them, they better step up their game. Yeah, they better step up their game. No one seems particularly into this info at first, so he says, fine. Enjoy their last trip to Disney before the mouse grows fangs. He goes to leave and, Aunt Xander, uh, no, and Xander rushes him, tosses him against the wall, and prepares to stake him for Anya. Buffy, however, stops him. He has information. They need it. Speck knew she'd see reason. Not really. (laughs) She grabs him and dangles him into the sun. Her mother? Spike figured she heard about that. Look, that was all Giles. He was just following orders. Tossing him back in the shadows. She says they'll see what information he has. After that, just what happens to him. In her office, Willow awaits the arrival of Wesley and Anna. It seems Anna has some concerns. Not only was the briefing that morning upsetting for her, but now with Buffy's return, she doesn't know where she stands with the team. It seems all the dynamics are shifting. Willow's been in charge for months, no matter who the official leader is on paper. And now everyone keeps looking to Buffy. 
Willow explains her dynamics with Buffy and how, yes, she is a bit different than she was back when Willow lost her. But she can stop Giles. Willow knows she can. And if that causes some power to shift, well, she's not arguing. That evening, after dinner, Buffy, Xander, and Willow go to see Spike to get information out of him. It's a bit of a brutal scene. and shows how far Xander is from the boy we once knew. That makes me so sad. He's stoic, violent, almost cruel. After Buffy pins Spike to a wall, he takes over the questioning. And when, he, and when they're done, it's Xander that stakes him for Anya. They decide to retire, at least briefly, rest for a few, and then reconvene in the conference room. Tell everyone what they discovered. But when Buffy returns to her quarters, Giles is there. She doesn't know how to react at first. And the sound of his voice, so familiar, makes it almost hard to breathe. He tells her to come in, close the door, let them have a chat in a civilized manner. Buffy knows this isn't Giles. Angel told her how vampires work, confirmed the lessons her watchers gave. And yet, for a moment, she almost believes it is a lie told by the council to ensure they never waver in their duty, because everything about him seems familiar. He offers her a gift, a sword, forged as he forged her. She threatens to kill him, tries to kill him, but she fails as he sidesteps every move she makes. He thinks one day she may kill him, but not tonight, because he knows her, knows everything about her, is the only real father she's ever known. He's under her skin. He's also offering her the chance to join him, to be by his side as she should be, become his daughter for real. She refuses, but he thinks she may just need more time to contemplate his offer. He throws the sword at her, she catches it, and when she goes to round on him, he's gone, leaving all these silence and dead centuries. So when Buffy tells the others about her visitor, they do what any group of monster fighters with a werewolf at their disposal would do. They use the werewolf to track their mentor-turned-vampire king. Buffy's never seen Oz change voluntarily, and she notes that it looks even more painful than his full moon transitions. We get a pretty good description of the transformation here, but it, it doesn't hold a candle to my absolute favorite transition, which anything real roof related will always be Anita Blake. But also listening or like reading the descriptions that Anita Blake make by like, make me hurt every oh, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's like, there's, there's, again, I know we've, we've said it before, but there's a lot of reasons why Anita Blake is one of my favorite vampire werewolf media just what she sets up the first eight books are phenomenal after that oh, yeah yeah Oof. we might I, I think we said it before but we may we may have to like at least read the f- lunatic moon like, well i think we, you kind of have to start at the beginning we'd have to read guilty pleasures oh yeah yeah oh that's right guilty pleasures was the first one i for i my brain was yeah, yeah. no we'll, we'll read guilty pleasures next next yeah. season because yeah, it, it is a fun book up until it just until she went crazy. Like, yeah. they were great books. They were fun books. Yeah. She she also kind of, like, not in the same way, but, like, went the way of Anne Rice going crazy, you know, in a different yeah. way. You know, when you write this type of literature, I'm calling it literature, for too long, I think it kind of rots your brain a little bit. And especially the way that she was cranking out these books. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think she still is. Yeah, I've, like I said, I gave up at Narcissus and Chains because it was oh, just... I made it farther than you. It was a lot. Uh, no, wait, I don't want Goodreads. I want Wikipedia. I want to know. So I'm curious. Yeah, there's one that just came out. Yeah. There are 29 books. Holy shit. <laughs> 
I I don't think I read Blood Noir, so I think I made it through fifteen. I think I made it to the Harlequin. Okay. Which, yeah. Where did you say you gave up? I think I gave up Narcissus and Chains. Okay, I made it five books farther than you. Wow. Well, four, because I don't think I read, because I think Micah is a novella. I don't think Micah is an actual book. So I don't think I read Micah because I hate Micah. He's like the worst character ever. Yeah. Yeah. Obsidian Butterfly is still one of my favorite. Oh, that's because Obsidian Butterfly is all about Ted. Exactly. (laughs) Because he's one, again, he's like one of those characters in... In the background. Oh, yeah. Lunatic Cafe. Yeah. Okay. Guilty Pleasures, Laughing Course, Circus of the Dam. Yeah. Of course, I couldn't remember the first three books in that series. So Um, the funny thing is Guilty Pleasures and the Laughing Corpse, I can still quote to this day because Guilty Pleasures is the first book in the series and it opens with the line, the most beautiful corpse I had ever seen was sitting behind my desk. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then the laughing corpse is the, I don't remember how it starts, but after she's attacked, it's the, I wasn't crying. My eyes were watering. My eyes were watering because bits of zombies were all over my stuffed penguin. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember which, like, I, the, I, I, I loved these books until yeah. I did it. Oh, like, yeah. This yeah. Is a huge obsession of mine. Yeah. I mean, and, <sighs> and in like a lot of our writing and a lot of our role oh. playing, like this is what Mary and I and we like we bonded over like when we found out that the other one liked Anita Blake and did the same things like especially with the werewolf hierarchy ah you know that was that was one of our very first bonding experiences when we started to to play together Ugh, so good <laughs> Buffy also notes a bit of tension dare she say even hostility between her Xander and Willow. Do they think because it was Giles, she let him go? Well, it had to be hard for her to see him like that. It was, yeah. But it only made her want to kill that thing more. He was faster than her. He used the fact he once trained her against her. She didn't let him leave. She didn't realize when the vampires threw her in that cell five years ago that her friends would be among the things they stole from her. Willow's angry too, though angry and hurt. Telling Buffy that for a long time, they didn't even realize what was happening. Giles was smart, covered his tracks. And when she went missing, Willow just kept hoping that the next phone call, the next doorbell would be her. Even after Angel went looking, it also disappeared. She tells Buffy how it was a year after she left that the vampires rose up over all in one night. They had so many in their numbers. The mayor, her parents. What did, what did she do? Nothing. It was Oz who... He dusted them both. It changed things between them, but Buffy tells Willow she's sorry, that she should have been there. And Willow tells Buffy that she is really glad she's not dead. They hug and then head to where Oz and Xander are. Giles' trail having stopped. So what do they do now? Willow thinks they might need to accelerate their plans, and Buffy agrees. But first, she needs to tell Willow something. That something happens to be the fact that Buffy's past self and her future self are both occupying Buffy's future body. The idea makes Willow's head hurt, but she believes her. And believes this means they were always meant to send her back. Because if she remembers being thrown in the cell, then Camazot's ripping his wife from her body must have been the catalyst, the thing that sends her back. Yeah, but by then it's too late. They need another solution. Zatzila said she messed up, that she made a mistake that led to all this. They need to figure out what it was and send her back to that point so she can 
so she can change everything. Willow realizes by helping Buffy, the future as she has come to know it will disappear. Buffy apologizes and Willow says, don't. (laughs) Anything is better than this. I love that because it echoes his uh, Giles sentiments in The Wish. Mm -hmm. How do you know that world will be better? Because it has to be. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot... There's a lot of this that reminds me of The Wish. That's another thing that surprises me. But again, like he he's playing the slow game, right? Mm-hmm. Why Giles didn't try to turn Xander and Willow? Honestly, like that, that honestly surprises me as a move. Yeah, I I think in terms of vampire, the way vampire Giles's mind works is they don't matter as much they don't matter they're just they don't matter but it also would probably help your uh play if you're like come be my daughter look your friends are here yeah i all be together yeah i still i still just think he's single focused he's single focused yeah yeah he he got he got it into his crawl (laughs) (laughs) and he just doesn't care he's like i mean yeah it would make sense to take willow and xander but he's like i don't care i just want my daughter she can turn her friends if she wants that's true he can leave it out up to buffy yeah so they head out to figure out where the past went wrong as well as work on their current plan take back sunnydale and kill giles giles who has a motorcycle (laughs) a restored norton that he likes to ride through town (laughs) for the second time sunnydale is described as new orleans and I get it, revelry. But also, New Orleans is very connected to vampire lore. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. There is, they, again, Christopher Golden went way farther than he had to. Right. With these books. We also learned that Giles has a mechanic that takes care of all his fancy cars. <laughs> the motorcycle, the limo, a jack. Like, how do I get Vampire Giles as my sugar daddy? I know, seriously. Like, be, be Buffy. Right? Oh, can't be Buffy. And, most important of all, we learn that Giles has the god of bats imprisoned in his sub-basement. <laughs> and that he goes down there whenever he feels the need to recharge his power. What? Buffy has a truly disturbing dream. It starts with pancakes and soft jazz. <laughs> it ends with a weeping <laughs> Joyce, a burning Giles, an angel crucified outside her window while wearing blood-soaked clothes. Like, what the actual fuck? Who? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. It's like a total mood shift. It's like, would you like some pancakes? They're soft jazz. Then it's like, death and dismemberment. But also, like- also apparently... The soft jazz is a sign that it's Sunday and that it has to be a certain time because that's when they play the soft jazz. That actually makes a bit of sense because wasn't it coming from a radio? Yeah, yeah. But and yeah, like, like radios would have those blocks where it's like Sunday 9 to 11 is our big jazz. Like, But I just love because I love her her internal her internal monologue about, oh, it's the soft, I smell pancakes. It's the soft jazz station. That means it's Sunday. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it's just one of those little things. It's just one of the little, little details about, you know, you're, you're laying in bed in the morning, you smell bacon, you hear, you know, your parents futzing about in the kitchen. It's the big day, the day of the attack on Sunnydale and Giles. Buffy awakes, finds she has no more tears to shed, and then... 
thinks of Xander, how it worries her, how jaded he's become. Because when you start to block out all attachment, you have nothing left to live for. Xander is, oof, my baby has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Oh, yeah, he's, I mean, we've, we've, we see Xander sometimes, you know, we've seen Xander a little hardened, but like, nothing like He's getting like up this. at like 4 a.m. to watch The Wild Bunch, which, you know, is a great <laughs> callback to The Harvest. <laughs> but, but baby. I know. Honey, Oz comes to get him. They rendezvous with Buffy and Willow in the hallway. As they start to head out, Buffy asks for a minute with Xander. She tells him she loves him, that he has people who care for him, and to not die. She also kisses him. Not romantically, but still. Oh. I know. Like, it's, this again, like, it's, it's, like, they're, the bond between these friends is so deep. And I, I, yeah, I just hate how people interpret things. In City Hall, Giles is conducting business with a porcupine-esque demon. They have a rather large presence in Las Vegas. And after he takes Los Angeles, he will take Las Vegas. Now, they could, there, could, <clears throat> there could be a battle, or they could come to some sort of agreement, and the demon could start making moves on his behalf. It's sure the city is already under his control when he gets there. It takes some negotiating, but the demon, named Ace, eventually agrees, provided they get to keep running the day-to-day operations. And... They call first dibs on Atlantic City. <laughs> I love that these like demons apparently are just like the mafia, like working behind the scenes in Vegas. I like, know, I know, things. and I love the I love the fact that they're like, okay, but we get Atlantic City. I mean, fair. Like they they like gambling I mean, towns. They they can't do any worse in Atlantic City than Atlantic City already had. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> One of our high school friends lives in Jersey now, right by Atlantic City, and she hates it so much. <laughs> I'm like, that's because you live near Atlantic City. Like, Jersey is very lovely in other parts, but that's because oh, yeah. you live near Atlantic City. Yeah, you live near Atlantic City. Like, it's... it's um... Oh, there was one... I, I, I think we probably passed the part, but there was a little section that I made a note of um, oh. when, with Buffy and Willow walking when they're going through. I think it's after Giles escapes. Um, they're, talk, they're talking about the building that they're in, and Willow says, quote, it was a hospital once. Anyone is welcome in a public place like that. When we first moved in, I tried half a dozen times to cast a spell to revoke that general invitation, but it never took. When a hospital is built, the intention of everyone involved is that it be open to anyone. I think that intent of purpose is too strong to override. That is a good bit. Yeah, like that was another little bit of lore building. Because it explains why Angelus could so easily get to the hospital when yeah. Buffy was in there. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, because I, I remembered we, we've been having this discussion about hospitals yeah so like i like the idea that when something is built that because this is something that's supposed to be for everybody that you can't make it so that you know certain things can't get in like you would have it's it feels like if people who had magic would have to build build a hospital they would have to put something in like the mortar and the foundation like they would have to Basically, pour your intentions into it. Right, like. right, and and any like the 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 wards would have to be built in as it's being built because this is supposed to be a place for everyone. 
That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I just, yeah, I like, I made a note of that because I just really liked that description and it went back to all the conversations that we have about vampires. And that's the same kind of thing with, with schools, you know, what? <laughs> Enter all you seek knowledge. <laughs> Can I you know, say? like, yeah. As their meeting starts to come to a close, Jazz's little minion, Jax, interrupts. The cavalry has arrived. 300 of them at least. Excellent. Jazz knew this day would come. Now it seems they get to see who really meant their vow of loyalty. He says he's going to head to the court and conduct the battle from there. He wants Jax to make sure everyone knows the Slayer is his. She is to be taken alive and brought to him. Yeah, Jax isn't sure that's the best idea. <laughs> she's going to kill him. <laughs> no, she's not. Giles knows she's not. He saw it in her eyes. By morning, the Slayer will be run of them. Rolling into town, each of the assault teams are assigned two vampire nests to take out. The only nest not being touched is the one in the Sunnydale Museum, as the council can't stand to see any of those antiquities destroyed. (laughs) They figure once humans take back the town, those vamps will flee. The exception to this is the primary team, Buffy and the others. They have one mission and one mission only to take out Rupert Giles. As they near City Hall, one of the members of the team begins to question things. Like, do they not realize how heavily guarded this place must be? He is not going to let them just roll right in. (laughs) Actually, Buffy thinks that's exactly what he's going to do. As they approach the building, they run into a roadblock. Trouble. That's okay. Buffy assures them trouble is fine. So, two things. Wesley apparently throws a huge fit. Oh, when he realizes he and Anna aren't on the primary team. While Buffy doesn't tell him so, she believes this is to preserve the Slayer line and make sure one of them survives the attack. And two, Xander telling the dude who questions Buffy to zip it or walk back to base is amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I... <clears throat> excuse me. I like as, like, we're going into the battle and during the battle and after, like, a lot of it, you do see hints of old personalities coming back because they're they're getting back into a rhythm even though everything has changed they're slotting back into the way things used to be and it's really hard to not fall back on the old habits at the roadblock there's a bit of car planning that goes on the vampires and their human allies calling for buffy to come out and give herself up and music playing, music that keeps distracting Buffy. That was really odd. Like, they kept focusing on the music yeah. that was playing, but yeah, the music I, couldn't play, like, a part of anything. It was just, it was a very yeah. odd thing. Yeah, I thought that the music was gonna... Go somewhere. Have, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's just a banal thing. Yeah. That they're going into battle. And people are playing music. And like, people are playing music, yeah. I think I think that is more what it what it turned out to be. A plan is formed, and Buffy, sword strapped to her back, heads out to meet the enemy head on. The enemy, which apparently still includes Parker. Fucking Parker. Fucking Parker, of course. (sighs) Surrounding her, the vampires demand she disarm. But as they close in, Willow lets loose an illumination spell, lighting up the area in ways the sun could never. Taking that as her cue, Buffy starts beheading vampires, noting that the sharpness of her new weapon makes that very easy. All hell breaks loose. The humans working with the vamps begin firing at Buffy and the other operatives, but they're blinded by Willow's spell. The operatives begin firing back, and though Buffy was clear no one should be killed, some don't seem to agree. A watcher named Yancey being particularly trigger-happy. He kills the human spokesperson as well as Parker. Though he claims he killed Parker because Parker was about to kill Buffy. And if she's Uh, supposed to be the key to everything... 
Yeah, no one's sad, Parker. We're not sad. We're not sad about Parker. No more. These are the people they're trying to save. As Willow turns guns to ice and uses her magic in ways Buffy has never seen before, Xander tells her that it's not like it used to be. No one wants to kill anyone, but they threw their hat in with the big evil. They know the risks. As they get back into the car, Buffy's sadly realizing Xander may be right. She tells Christopher to get them to City Hall. And maybe try to avoid other vampires along the way? (laughs) Reaching City Hall, we get to see Commanding Officer Xander in action as he orders the injured to stay behind. They try to fight him, but he pulls rank. He's one of the top guys on this mission, and they're going to listen to him. They decide to do a drive-by assault as they're almost certain Giles knows they're there, considering most of the other teams have already started destroying nests. Using a weapon that may very well be another rocket launcher. Because, <laughs> like, we love rocket launchers here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they, they, open, they open both sides of the vehicle yeah. so that the, the part could go in the, <laughs> out the other side. They blow, like, a few holes in the building before heading inside and meeting 20 vampires head <laughs> on. Trigger happy Yancey dies. So sad. yeah. And Xander dusts a few vamps, including Nancy's killers. Willow sets a whole bunch of blaze with magic. Oz transforms and leaps in, tearing them apart. <gasps> and Christopher! Christopher blesses the water coming down from the sprinklers, turning it into holy water because he's a, he's a priest! priest! We find out that this guy who only had a few lines earlier that we are completely simping over is a fucking priest now he's a priest he's yeah, a priest froggy so, can verify i like texted her immediately when i got to this part because i i like like she said we're developing huge crushes on this guy. oh yeah we're we're and, like he's he's added to my roster of role play characters like yeah. and then they hit us with the fact he's a priest and i'm just like how dare but two seconds later i realized that like Being a member of the council means that he's most likely an Anglican priest. And as Jane Austen novels have showed us extensively, they can marry. They can marry. They can marry. Yeah, in the book, it does say Roman Catholic, but But it makes more sense for him to be Anglican. But yes, yes. I decided he's Anglican. I've spoken because this is is now my husband, Father Christopher. Oh, yeah. He, because he, yeah. So Willow sets the vampires on fire the sprinklers go off and he blesses the goddamn water because he's a wipes out everybody else he's a freaking priest like so tom hardy playing an anglican priest blessing the rain down from africa That kind of warm me here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, of course, we, like, no sooner get past, like, that mind-blowing revelation when we're hit with a flood of memories that Buffy has of Giles. Him with Jenny, him telling off Travers, him with his nose stuck in a book. I did not have crying at my desk oh. on my bingo card, but there oh. we were. Yeah, that was, yeah, this whole section. It's only going to get worse from here, folks. Oh, it's only going to get worse. Like, Again, uh, I will like I messaged Mary at one point. I'm like, fuck this book. <laughs> so they're going to leave my new husband in charge and they're going to Buffy, Willow, Xander, Oz. They're going to head for the basement and search Giles. Their plan is to go floor by floor, investigating every nook and cranny until they find him. They'll meet up with Lonegren and the others 
all their way back up. And the basement, who the basement is a horror show. Ooh. <clears throat> There's no Giles, just Camazots, chained up with vampires feeding from him, sucking in his energy. It's weird. And as Buffy says, it's kind of gross. His wings are in even sorrier state than before. He's become very bloated. His eyes are milky. There's sores all. It's just ew. Ew. And as he lets out a long, low wail, described actually as like a keen, uh, they realize he's just, he's completely gone insane. So yeah, like we said, part four actually states that Chris is a Roman Catholic priest. But again, I've decided he's an Anglican priest, so it's fine. Because it makes more sense. Also, part four states that the sword Giles gave Buffy, Uh the sword she is currently carrying, is the same one she used to send Angel to hell. And you think they would have mentioned that sooner. I think it was more a it was kind of like, you know, they had a revelation with Father Christopher. You know, there's 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 been several moments in this book where things were definitely done for a later revelation like Buffy, you know, may have noticed that it was the sword, but because she was also so concerned with everything else, you know, it was just a good moment to put that revelation out there because drama. Drama. Anyway, hearing Buffy's comments, the groups, the group of vampires rush at the group, which begins another battle. Buffy dusting vamps left and right. Oz still in wolf form, tearing apart any vamp he can get his teeth on. Willow embracing her inner Wanda. She like draws singles in the (laughs) air, calling down all sorts of spells. And Xander firing at the sentries, wounding them as best he can. It's going good. They're ready to get out there and find Lonegrin and the others. When one of the vamps dives and Willow's ice spell hits Camazot's chain, allowing the god of bats to free himself. Like they have time for that nonsense. (laughs) At what once was the small child nightclub, but is now a pile of rubble, Anna and Wesley finish up with the small nest of vamps they found there. It was a moment or two where Anna thought she might be a goner, but she pulled through. Wesley is immensely proud, though he doesn't really show it. He's not one for extraneous compliments. Not to mention that they kind of need to be on their way, as a call has come for the Hotel Pacifica. The nest there is larger than the team thought, and they need backup. So off Anna and Wesley go. Arriving, Anna does feel some doubt and hesitation, but she knows she has no choice. This is what she's meant to do. And so she goes, Wesley following behind. Camazots is now free and blaming Buffy for everything. (laughs) All he wanted was his wife back. But no, she had to interfere and give her a host strong enough to resist him. She left him no choice but to kill her. Dude, you just need to accept she was not that into you. (laughs) He advances on Buffy and she attacks him with the sword, getting some good swipes in. But he slowly begins to heal. Xander shoots at him, Oz tears at him, but nothing seems to kill him. Not until Willow turns a crossbow bolt into gold. Ever wonder why ancient civilizations were obsessed with gold? Yeah. I like that. And I like that it's a play on the usual use of silver. Yes. Willow shoots the now golden crossbow bolt into his chest, killing him. The hotel is a mess. In a way more dire situation than the small child nightclub was. Making their way inside, Anna and Wesley find halls littered with bodies and the dusted remains of vampires hanging in the air. They're informed there's a ballroom on the top floor and decide that that is where most of them must be hanging out slash hiding themselves. And so they head up, each floor making Anna more and more nervous. How many are there? How are they going to handle them? 
Some of the Fallout Council operatives had flamethrowers. If they could get their hands on one of those. The ballroom is bad. Real bad. Anna does some, but struggles. And Wesley is taken down. Not out. Not yet. But there's a vampire doing her damnedest to drain him dry. Anna's not about to let that happen, though, and shoots out the windows, letting the sun flood into the room. That's right, sunlight. And she dares them to come get her in the middle of it. Their response is to start chanting? (laughs) A weird, humming sort of chant that makes their eyes glow. Only in the middle of it, the light fades and the humming stops. Without Camazots, their power source has run dry. Anna orders the other operatives to not let any of them leave and helps Wesley up. She's taking him to a hospital. No, no, he'll be fine. He's just woozy. Like when he gives (laughs) blood, all he needs is a Pepsi and a cookie. (laughs) With the God of Bats dead, dusting the remaining survivor or two is nothing. They're all just normal vampires now. Xander calls Lonegren and finds out where they are, saying they're on their way. As they climb the steps, Oz stops, sniffing the air. He smells angel? I was wondering when he was going to show up. Yeah. Wesley does get his Pepsi and cookie. Good for him. Nice. Leaving the hotel, he and Anna managed to find a convenience store whose owner was still there. Locked inside, but still there. (laughs) He refuses payment, telling Anna and Wesley to simply wipe the vermin out. That's when Anna realizes it. All the so-called collaborators in town, they're prisoners. Just doing what they can to survive, to not lose everything. Yeah, duh. (sighs) (sighs) Wesley tells Anna that Faith would be proud. Because remember, Faith helped train her. Anna liked her, and as far as we know, Faith liked Anna. He's munching away happily on his cookies, and then he gets the call. Turns out they're needed at City Hall after all. Well then, we return to my husband as he leads (sighs) his team through the upper floors of City Hall. Though he does still sense a vampiric presence in the building, it's minimal. The courthouse, however, that's another story. Also, Chris is being blocked. Something is causing static and he has a feeling it's Giles' doing. That he has his own spies and knows enough about him and his abilities to be hiding. He's on high alert, ready to strike. And so when Wesley and Anna just pop out out of nowhere, (laughs) of a heart attack, he almost attacks them. Wesley apologizes and thought it would be best to be sneaky as possible. Right, well, now that they're there, it's time to move forth. They all know what they're there to do. This is where we need to talk about the fact that my man wears a double-sided battle axe into battle because, like, how badass is that? He's he's perfect. He's our perfect man. Like... Yeah, he is. He's... He... They spent so much time. Christopher Golden spent so much time on this man. And for what? (laughs) Oh... Yeah, we're getting to a we're getting to a, a fairly brutal bit pretty soon. Oh my god! Like, yeah, he's he can sense vampires. He's a priest. He carries a fucking battle axe to the and fight. Also, like a crossbow with an antique handle. Like, he's just he's really cool. I need more of him. I just I need a whole series about him. He belongs to me now. Good. That's good. <laughs> Anyway, as they cross over into the courthouse, Wesley reflects a bit on Giles and how once upon a time he viewed the man as a hero, wished he could be more like him, have his backbone. Now Rupert Giles is dead and Wesley wants nothing more than to kill the thing that calls itself by his name. It's why he wanted so much to be on the City Hall team. And Wesley almost gets his wish. Because in the midst of the melee in the courtroom, he sees Jax, Giles' minion, and then Giles emerge from the judge's chambers. So he and Anna approach. Giles is so pleased to see him. So (laughs) glad he could make it. He even calls out to him. But by the time Wesley and Anna reach that side of the room, he's gone. Vanished. 
Tricky, tricky, Giles. The fact that Oz can pick up on Angel's scent means he's alive, which causes Willow to point out the fact that they may have to prepare for them not finding Angel, but Angelus. Because, you know, alive and Giles' base of operations, it's not an unlikely possibility. Buffy says she knows, and hey, she put the sword through Angel once. She can do it again. Okay, but if she can't, Willow can. She'll do it for Buffy. Buffy says we'll see how it goes. The trail stops in front of a door that says no admittance, a door protected by dark magic. Touch it and your friends might be scraping you off the wall. (laughs) Buffy's ready to go through the wall itself, but Willow says that won't be necessary. She thinks she can also enchant the sword and then the two magical fields will short each other out. She does. They do. And the gang enters. The room is dark, windows bricked over, the only light coming from the hall and a magical glowing purplish orb in the center of the room. Inside this orb is Angel, hung crucifixion style, and with a stake protruding from his chest. And yet, he's alive. Sorta. See, when Angel went to confront Giles, he did okay. Cleaned his clock. But Giles had a few tricks up his sleeve. Payback for all the torture, killing Jetty, and Angel... He walked right into the mystical bear trap the child set. Time around, Angel is frozen. Still, the stake just at the tip of his heart. If the barrier is removed, the orb destroyed, well then, poof goes the vampire. It's kind of genius, really. It's, and I love evil Giles for it. No, I love... Oh, well, like, we didn't, um, we didn't, we didn't mention earlier, um... That when, like, Spike calls him Ripper. Spike does call him Ripper. Spike Spike calls him Ripper. Like, this is, this is Evil Giles at his best. This is, Ethan Rain would completely join up because this is what he wanted for Giles. Oh, yeah. And, like, I know he'd be younger Giles because he'd be Buffy Giles. But in my head, uh, Vampire Giles looks like Anthony Head from Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, like, I I love the, um, there's been a lot of discussions going around about how that Rupert is Evil Giles. Yeah, that's that's just Evil Giles. Like, yeah. the fact that they're both named Rupert, like, that is Giles. That is Giles if he never gave up his chaos magic. Yeah, he is the anti-Giles. Evil Giles actually appears in the room, very disappointed by their lack of excitement over seeing him. He tells Buffy they had it all wrong. His soul is gone, sure, but he is still very much him. And he knows this because he still feels love for her. Love like a father feels. And he continually calls Buffy his daughter throughout this conversation. Yeah, and this also, again, goes back to what we we always say about Spike and like Spike with Drusilla. Yeah, but this really riles Buffy up because while she probably would have loved to hear those words from the human Giles, now it seems a mockery. When he tells her to join him, become unstoppable, she tells him the real Giles would never be so arrogant. Which is when we learned Xander always kind of thought Giles was arrogant. <laughs> Again, that's another that's another great Xander moment. Giles doesn't know how hands, how Xander is still alive. <laughs> Buffy tells the others to go to get to the courthouse and because Lonergan has just radioed for help. She'll handle Giles. Willow is hesitant to leave her and Angel begs her not to face him alone. But Buffy is out of it. Her and him. What else? Over at the courthouse, things are not going well. Oh, no. My husband has been murdered. Oh, yes. Yes. 
that's it. Like, book over. That's I just, it. At this point, I was like, I'm not reading any further. I'm done. We're done. Book nope. ends here. Everything's awful, I guess. Evil vampire Giles wins. Goodbye. Nope. We don't need, we don't need anything else. That's it. <sighs> Fine. But warning, it's just going to get worse from here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this isn't even the half of it. Um, Anna is immediately struck by the death of Christopher. Tears coming even as she fights, as Oz and Wolfform and Willow and Xander enter the fray, as Wesley's neck is snapped and he falls dead. <sighs> and as the same vampire that murdered my love knocks her stake out of her hand, it descends upon her. So every time they mention Jack's the vampire, all I see is like biker Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> that is not it all fit the description of this guy at all but like Jax is very like tall and light like they describe him as a dancer yeah and also he's Jax is Jax is also black with a white bat one of them was black there the, yeah I think that might be Jax oh I didn't think Jax was originally a Camazots but maybe he was well they they all of the ones that were turned after like even with Giles they still got the tattoos Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, yeah. Yeah. They were still getting the tattoos. They just they wanted still their had... little like gang mark. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he he was he was described. He was he was black with a white like dark white. See, so far the opposite of Charlie Hunnam. Uh, yeah. I hear the name Jax. Yeah. And like I immediately just like I'm like, oh, Sons of Anarchy, because that's not a name you hear often. No, I actually think of Mortal Kombat because that was the first yeah, that was the first use of that name, like, in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Hearing her scream, Xander runs to her rescue, and that's it for him. He's overtaken and killed, same as so many others. Willow realizes it's down to her, Anna, and Oz, and she, she goes feral. Oh, she's, this is... Like, calling is- on the old gods, making vampires, like, straight up disappear. And blowing out every window in the place, incinerating any remaining vampires instantly. She's weak, her nose is bleeding, but it's done. She makes her way to Xander's body, not sure how to go on after this. All her life, it's always been the two of them. Him and her, everything. And now for the first time, she faces a world without him. That... That broke. broke me. Yeah. Like, I'm crying now. That broke yeah. my goddamn heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's... Cause it was always Willow and Xander. I mean, even when you see in the wish in the wish verse, it's Willow and Xander. Yeah. Like this this book and I are in a fight. I know. I know. They well, And it's only it's still gonna get worse. Yeah. Because Angel, from his fear, is forced to watch Buffy and Giles fight. Forced to watch the pain on Buffy's face as she faces down the two men she once trusted above all. And Buffy she is forced to stare at those two men who meant the world to her, both dead. Because Angel's as good as, and Giles, Giles is gone. Angel tells Buffy not to listen to Giles, and Giles tells her to ignore him, join him. If she does, he'll set Angel free. Angel says that's impossible. And Giles says it isn't. He made the spell. Does she not think he knows a way to reverse it? To reach in and save Angel from the stake? Buffy's not joining him. Doesn't believe him. And fighting him, it hurts. But she does it, even as he matches her blow for blow. Blocks her attacks with his expert fencing skills. It says it in the book. Mm-hmm. Expert fencing skills. Mm-hmm. Buffy sees an opening, though. A plan. And she takes it. She sticks the sword in the field, says her goodbye to Angel, and catches the stake rounding on Giles. And then she stakes him. Rude. 
listen, I would have joined Giles. I would have joined Giles. I would have had him turn yeah. my husband Christopher and yeah. we would have lived a very happy life. Yeah, we, I mean, we've, we've always, I mean, look, when we saw, when we watched The Invitation, we're like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I would no- have married Thomas Doherty vampire man. Like, absolutely. I mean, look at those cheekbones, for God's sake. He was going to fund my art gallery. Right. Like, like, why do you say no to this? I like just just for once, for once, I want the heroine of the movie to be like, yes, I will absolutely join you. We will be the greatest vampiric power couple in history. We will. I mean, they didn't really seem to be doing much. I mean, they weren't taking over the world or anything they were just no, living it was their, my little ray of sunshine they were living their best vampiric wealthy lives right Ugh. buffy staring at the ash when willow arrives with oz but without xander it's then that buffy breaks down and cries she has to go back she has to fix this she can't let this be how things are. It rains the day of Xander's funeral. A military chaplain presiding over the ceremony. Because now that the vamps are gone and the dust is settling, this has become a military operation. It probably would have been Father Christopher presiding over it if... <sighs> rip our husband. The federal government there to help Sunnydale rebuild from the terrible gang violence <laughs> that plague did for years. Yeah, that's right. We're right back to we're gags back to, on PCP. We're, we're back to, yep, yep. Buffy and Willow thinks it's horrible that no one will ever know what Xander did, what he gave, that his parents, who aren't yet back in town, will never know that despite them, he was brave and good. Yeah, yeah and do I, you think they- I love yeah, that line. I do too. I do because too. Because they make sure to say that despite his home life, yep. he was a good person. Yeah. A brave soldier. Yeah, you know what, no matter how much, I feel like no matter how much you make clear that Xander is a good person despite the shit that he's put through, people just choose to ignore it. Of course they do. But they suppose at the end, all that would matter to Xander was that they know. His headstone reads his full name, something Willow says he would hate. (laughs) No one ever in his life called him Alexander. Only teachers on the first day of school. To everyone else, he was... Xander. Just Xander. Oz tells Buffy he was almost himself again at the end. He thinks that was due to her. Hey, this book is the worst. I know. I know. This, like, I did not ask for all these feelings. No! We just asked for, like, a wacky timeline with hot vampire Giles. I know. Like, we were so excited. Like, yes, we have Giles as a vampire king. And then we got, like, a hot priest. And now, like, nothing. They took it all away. Yeah. Look what they took from us. Ugh. They took everything from us. Oz also tells Willow that this is like leaving a house. A house they've been in their whole lives. But now they're gone and the door is shut. Locked. They can't go back in. But Willow wants to go back in. This is and this is such a very Willow, Willow moment too. Like you see the old Willow. But it is a very Willow response. They can't. But it's okay because there's a lot of world out there. Speaking of which, Willow thinks she found a way to send Buffy back. Oz wonders if they'll feel anything when the world changes. It takes her three days, but Willow finally sorts it out, comes up with a plan. See, Kamazos' wife used the idea of showing Buffy the future as a way to get her out of her body. 
make it so that she could take over because she likes Earth, wants to stay there. She doesn't want to go back to whatever demon realm of fire and brimstone her and her husband normally occupy. See, I always love that attitude of vampires and demons where it's like, I like it here. I like living in the human realm. So she uses her precognitive abilities, sees that Buffy is alive and herself in the future, most likely assuming she found a better host, and throws Buffy forward, making room for her. So all Willow has to do is undo the spell and it will throw Buffy back immediately. But if they do that, she'll return to a point where Giles is already dead. So what they need is to find out when she made her mistake. The night at the Harbor Master's office? No, Buffy thinks it was earlier than that. And here is where we get our learn and grow moment. Because Buffy, now she's realizing how lucky she is to have friends. How they are her gift. Thought death was your gift, Buff. Okay. (laughs) So she thinks she needs to go back to a point where she needed them, but refused them. Well, they just got it. Saying they should keep this between them. As some of the other council members might not be too keen on the whole changing of reality thing. (laughs) But she tells Buffy to meet her at her office in just a little bit. And meet her, she does. Willow's found a spell, one that will use Buffy's soul groove and the energy of the Slayer to pull Buffy back. Because technically, you can't travel back the same path you took. But being the Slayer gives her a loophole because she can follow the Slayer energy like she originally followed the Buffy energy. It's an interesting little spell. With ribbon ties and blood anointings. <laughs> Willow tells Buffy she must concentrate on the moment she wants to return to. The spell completes and Buffy feels herself falling. Falling past the bus station, the seance, the night at the Harbor Master's place. She's tempted to get off there, but she can't. She knows she'd only repeat the same mistakes. She needs to go back to the phone call with Oz. She needs to deliver the message Giles intended her to deliver. She needs to not alienate her friends more. For a moment, she's distracted, distracted, thrown to the slayers of the far past. She sees the Victorian era, Egypt, Rome. She sees girl after girl facing down creatures of the night. And while she is one with them, that is not where she needs to be. So she finds herself again, sees herself being called, sees Merrick die, sees her time in Sunnydale, and then she's there. The moment she wants, but she can't get out, can't get into her body. She loses the moment, but finds Lucy. He wants to know what is she doing there? And so she tells her. Back in the present day, at the moment Buffy was trying to enter, Willow is eating pizza with Oz and refusing to fold it. <laughs> she is confident of her abilities to eat pizza, sans the fold, and if anything does drip, well, she has napkins. <laughs> Oz tells her Buffy called, saying she and Giles needed Willow to look through manifests. See if she could find anything that will lead them to Camazons. Willow wonders how fast they need it and tries to call Buffy. No answer. She then tries to call Giles, but also receives no answer. That's when Lucy appears, telling Willow that someone needs to talk to her. That's someone being Buffy. Willow's kind of freaked out when she first sees Buffy because, uh, does the ghost think mean she's dead? (laughs) Not yet, but she needs Willow's help to solve a problem. She needs Willow to perform a spell that she was supposed to ask her to perform to get the ingredients and then grab Xander and Anya to meet her and Giles at the docks. And come heavily armed. Very heavily armed. These vamps, they're not like normal vamps. They leave Willow in Oz and Lucy takes Buffy to where she's sitting in Giles Citrion, waiting while Giles talks to the Harbor Master. Just like Camazot's <laughs> wife needed Buffy's permission to enter, so does Buffy. So they call out to her physical form, explain, <clears throat> say they have a plan, 
And then Buffy rejoins with herself. All her memories merge of the present, the future. She sees Giles at the door, sees him go inside, and she knows she has to get to him. Telling Lucy to make sure the others don't get lost, she runs towards the office. Xander's not loving being the guy with the Molotov cocktails between his legs (laughs) as Oz drives. Seemed Oz managed to find a good dozen or so bottles of near 100 proof liquor for them to use. Yay, housemates. Mm Mm-hmm. Yay, male (laughs) 20-something housemates. Lucy appears to them, telling them to hurry, and Oz floors it. Xander's also not loving the whole emphasis on hurrying as it worries him. A lot. Reaching the docks, they spot the vamps and launch into battle mode, throwing the cocktails using axes and scimitars. <clears throat> Even Lucy says she'll try to help, which she apparently does by possessing a vampire. <laughs> she's not even sure how she did it. But given as it's working for them, she's not going to complain. Good for Lucy. I like she's, Lucy. I do too. I, I like her. You know, and also... you. You got to remember, she's not your average ghost. She was also a slayer, so she knows what she's doing. Inside the Harbor Master's office, things are playing out just as they did before. Same threats, same words. And when Kamazot shows up, Buffy realizes she had almost forgotten what he looked like before the basement, before his sanity and freedom were robbed from him. He starts on the same speech and she cuts him off. She's heard it all before. This unnerves him. But no mind, he'll still get what he wants. He orders the Harbor Master to kill Giles if she doesn't obey. And just like last time, he tells her to throw down the stake and crawl to him. And here it is. She knows what happens if she obeys. They both die. But if she leaves, Giles suffers a fate worse than death. So she stays. She stalls. Drops to her knees slowly. Sets the stake down slowly. Takes the first crawling motion ever so slowly, hoping her friends will arrive. And arrive Willow does. Just tacking right into Camazots with the scimitar. Something that actually surprises her. And she's trying to get it out, but he throws her aside. Buffy launches herself at the Harbor Master, forcing him to drop Giles before staking him. And then she's back at Camazots. Where were they? Oh, right. He was going to crawl. <laughs> Camazots is incensed. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Oh, well. Sucks to be him. Buffy goes for him, but he dives out a window, escaping. Knowing there is nothing else to do at this moment, she turns her attention to Giles, who is alive and mostly okay, even if he did drop his glasses. They even it even makes it. They even make a mention in the in the narration about how he's suffered head trauma <laughs> plenty yes. of times. He has a hard head. <laughs> Poor Giles. Poor, he's oh god. The others join them, and Buffy tells them Camazot's escaped. Anya's a bit miffed by that, and after they hurried down there, they didn't even have time to make Giles' bed. <laughs> Again, Giles finding out things yeah, against his will. Like, this is crossing a line. <laughs> Xander should have told her no. Because, ew. 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 <laughs> Giles does catch that, but Xander definitely changes the subject. (laughs) Willow says Lucy really helped them out. She was totally badass, kicking butt from inside one of the vamps. What happened to her? Because Buffy says they're going to need her for the next part of the plan. Ah, well, uh, Oz dusted her. Accidentally. (laughs) Plus, aren't ghosts already dead? So he doesn't think he did any real damage. 
Back at Giles, they enact the plan after wounds are patched and cleaned. There are candles all about, and Willow has been working on learning alchemy. Giles is just very surprised by this. <laughs> How does Buffy know all about Camazots and his wife? And why is she so certain the weapon of gold will work? There's something she's not telling him. Buffy doesn't deny it, but she needs Giles to trust her. She knows this will work, and she knows Willow can do the spell. Which is good, because she doesn't know how else they're getting a solid gold weapon. <laughs> I love when she like goes through the options, like, well, do you want us to rob a jewelry store? Yeah. Like, it would have been nice if Giles would have been like, I have this solid gold dagger. Right? Giles, you usually have stuff. Why don't you know. have stuff today? I know. You're, be more helpful. Everything in place, Buffy is ready to rid Sunnydale of the Mayan deities so she can move on to figuring out how to convince her professor not to fail her. <laughs> All they have to do is hope Lucy isn't too bitter about the decapitation. As they begin their seance, Buffy once again gets that feeling of deja vu, even though she knows now circumstances are different. Different place, added people, and they know what they're dealing with. Interesting enough is she's centering herself, mentally preparing. Buffy does mention that Faith's still in a coma, something we weren't sure she knew when she asked about her in the earlier part. So this is like definitely nebulously before this year's girl, also before Buffy learned of the initiative or Ozla. It's just very, very odd timing. Yeah, very hand wavy, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. They call on Lucy, who gives Oz shit for a moment before saying she understands. He did the <laughs> battle and all. They then have Lucy lure the prophet there, which doesn't take much as she wants Buffy's body. Something Xander is all in his teenage boy glory points out. But joke's on her, because when she arrives, Buffy calls her by her real name, letting her know they're not buying her falsehoods anymore. Okay, fine, but then she's leaving. Or not, as she's kind of floated herself into a binding circle... Buffy tells her to tell them where Camazots is. She knows she knows. They're connected. It's how he found her. So tell them. She does, telling them of the ship he came over on, and then demands she's released. They imprison her in a snow globe, which Buffy thinks is going to look real spiffy on her dorm desk. (laughs) And so they all head back to the docks, prepared to launch their attack, and with a ton of questions on their mind. How does Buffy know all this? How did she appear as a spirit? It's all very freaky. As they prepare to enter the ship, Willow still isn't sure this is going to work. She tried the spell at Giles's and nothing. That's because Willow didn't know the secret. The secret? She can't do the spell for personal gain. She wasn't. Maybe not intentionally, but at Giles, she had no thoughts of all the shoes or purses that gold could buy. <laughs> books. Willow says it was books. Yeah. And that's not fair. Everyone imagines that, which is why no one believes in alchemy. <laughs> Buffy assures her when the time is right, it will work. How does she know? And how does she know the secret? Simple. She told her. The fight on the ship. It's a long one. (laughs) Buffy realizing they need to be patient, draw the sentries away one by one until they can get to the cargo hold. As an archer, I very much appreciated the use of a compound Mm -hmm. bow. Yeah. All through this yeah and even even like there there's been compound bows wesley had a repeat of antique repeating crossbow yeah Yeah, lots of bows and arrows in this book we appreciated that yeah definitely so they get to the cargo hold they get to camazots they find him almost healed but still recovering buffy taunts him as is her way and he steals the power back from his vampires like just sucks it right out of them which ends up dusting them all. 
But it's fine. He doesn't mind losing them if it gives him more strength against the Slayer. She tells the others to go and they can't believe she's back to this whole solo gig mentality. It's not that. She needs them. She knows that. But to have them, she needs them to live. So this is a time when she needs them to go. They don't, which is good. Because Kamazoth kind of throws her around like the Hulk threw around Loki. (laughs) Seeing this, Willow is able to perform the spell as at the moment her only thoughts are of saving Buffy. Buffy takes the now solid gold stake and slams it into Kamazoth's eye. Bye, Kamazoth. Bye bye. We will not miss you. No, definitely not. You were a pain in the ass. And weird and creepy. Oh, so creepy. The battle over, Buffy is in one hell of a good mood. As they all are. A little sore, especially on Giles' part. But in a good mood. Xander thinks their exploit should be proclaimed across the land. And Oz promises songs. (laughs) Willow still thinks Buffy has some explaining to do. But she really, as much as she knows she needs to remember that future, she doesn't want to talk about it. So she tells Willow she had a vision of sorts. How much of it came true? Only the good stuff. But Buffy doesn't want to dwell. They won. They're alive. They're together. And for today, that's all she needs. The end. There we go. But we never found out. We never found out if she managed to sweet talk the professor. We don't. We don't find that out. That's very (laughs) sad. Like, does Buffy get like an A in her class? The last little hanging bit. I know. Because she even says that she has to try to convince him not to fail her. But yes. Good book. Great book. We love our hot priest. We do. We do. Yeah, this this book, you know, went in with no expectations. Nope. Absolutely none. And, you know, the, 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 the first two, the first half of it was standard issue stuff. Yeah. But then by three and four, it got. Ooh. Yeah. It got intense. Yeah, I wasn't expecting. No. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that level. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. And make sure to join us next time when we take on season four, episode 18, Where the Wild Things Are. <laughs> I have crisp opinions about this episode. Oh, yeah. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Bye!